And now, a highlight from Animal Radio on iHeartRadio. And we encourage you here at Animal Radio to never, ever buy a pet. The most we would ever ask is that you pay adoption fees from a shelter or a humane society near you. You know, I'm involved with one bulldog rescue, and and now I've actually just taken on a second one. I'm working with a friend who is fostering for another bulldog rescue, and it's all three of these rescues together to get one dog a home. Yeah, and it's one breed. So if you're looking for a specific breed, don't tell me I'm going to buy a pet because I want a specific breed. I don't want a mutt. There are breed rescues all over the country. There's no reason. Right. You should buy a pet. And plus at the shelters, they have breeds, purebreds. Sure, absolutely. And then there's this new trend. This is really disturbing me. It's pet leasing. So you walk into the store, the pet store, you see that cute little puppy in the window, and you want that. And you say, well, you know, Animal Radio said I shouldn't buy that. But damn, that puppy is so adorable, so cute. But so expensive. But yeah, so expensive. I can't afford it. And then the salesman comes over to you and says, I can make this dog affordable for you. We can lease this pet to you for low monthly payments. Not really discussing the bubble balloon payoff at the end. Unfortunately, animals are treated as property in the eyes of the law and the government. So if you lease a pet and you miss a payment, they could repossess that pet. Now, for us, it's a family member, but for them, it's just collateral. It's very disturbing, and there's great legislation across the country to change that. We're talking with Bill Ketzer. He's the senior director of ASPCA Government Relations for the Northeast Region. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you so much. I'm really, I'm really doing good, and I'm, I'm glad to be here and talking about this issue. How new is this? Because I don't remember as a kid the ability to lease an animal. Right. Um, we became aware of it a couple of years ago. Initially, uh, we worked with the State Department of Agriculture and Markets to try to figure out through their animal inspectors who regulate many of these entities just how prevalent it was. Um, and at the time, it didn't seem like it was going to be something that was going to catch on. Uh, but boy, um, it certainly has. It certainly has caught on. Um, we we found out over you know again through working with that agency but then also seeing some of the work of uh, uh, the, uh, the Attorney General here in New York State. We're starting to figure out just how you know, prevalent the practice is. Um, there's one local chain um, who was as on record as saying that over 30% of their annual sales are from leasing agreements. Oh. Um, so it's, it's, as you said, it, it's a practice that kind of lures, capitalizes on the emotional connection people feel towards um, you know, a, a puppy to kind of lure them in and say, I can make this affordable for you, $50. $50. You can walk out of this store today, $50 down, $50 a month, uh, you know, low monthly payments. And a lot of people don't even know they're entering a leasing agreement. They think it's traditional financing. You know, they think they walk out of that store and they, they own that animal free and clear. So, of course, whatever happens after that, uh, they're paying for veterinary and, and, and other care. Well, besides taking advantage of emotional consumers, you know, see that cute puppy in the window, and having a third-party retain ownership, that's got to raise some ethical questions about who's really responsible or permitted to make important medical decisions on behalf of the animal. It sure does. You know, these contracts, I mean, we have reviewed some of these contracts. Um, you know, there's no one set way to structure them. But at the end of the day, um, if, if you're not owning the animal, then there is a definite ethical concern as to whether or not, you know, you're actually liable to provide. Of course, you're going to provide the medical care, you know, because as you, as you mentioned, again, uh, these, these are our family members. You know, you're not going to 
uh, walk away from an animal that needs medical care. Uh, but at the end of the day, they could, you know, if you miss a payment, of, let's talk, we could talk about the default, you know, fees involved for, you know, defaulting on payments as well. Um, you know, they could come get that animal uh, whenever they want. And the back end question is, where's that animal going to go? Back on the legality of who owns a dog, what if the dog has, like, astronomical vet bills and needs surgery that's going to be thousands of dollars and the owner can't pay for it and doesn't pay for it? What's going to happen to the dog? I mean, is it going to be repossessed? Well, uh, hold on. That's, that's a great question. We're going to take a quick break. We're with Bill Ketzer, the senior director of ASPCA Government Relations for the Northeast Region. We're going to find out the answer to that next. Stick around. <laughs> Well, this song makes me want to go take my dog out to the park right now. A dog that I adopted. I encourage anybody looking for dogs that they adopt dogs. Don't buy that one in the window because, well, might come from a puppy mill. Might be one of those dogs that just has bad behavior because it was raised in a small cage. Or the health might not be paramount because, you know, they're really thinking about the bottom line. Adopt instead of shopping. There's a new trend a disturbing trend. It's called pet leasing. And on the phone with us is Bill Ketzer, the senior director of ASPCA Government Relations Department for the Northeast Region. And we're talking about pet leasing right now. Judy, what was your question before the break? Oh, yeah, I wanted to go back on the legality of ownership. And if a dog needs, you know, life-saving surgery that's too expensive for the owner to afford, it's just thousands of dollars, and they don't pay for it, they can't pay for it, what happens to the dog? Who's responsible to save its life? Does it get repossessed and what happens then great question great question it's uh it's ultimately depends upon what the term the small print in the contract says uh these companies don't want to repossess an animal what they would rather do typically um they'll have either either the lender itself or a vendor that they hire for collections will work with the the purchaser or the leasee in this case to uh restructure the agreement (laughs) So that maybe you're not paying as much, but the terms are extended. Um, basically, they're going to try to get you into another contract uh, to make it uh, amenable for both sides. In theory, mind you, you know, sure, it's, it's not amenable. Wow. It's, not, it's not amenable to the the the, the pet uh, owner, the person who's harboring the animal, one way or the other. In my opinion. Yeah, well, they're they're in the business of money, not in the in the business of taking care of animals. Absolutely correct. So there's one company. It's called Wags. So far, they've serviced sixty six thousand pet leases, which is a lot. And they say, and not to us because we called for an interview and they turned us down. They say, and they've turned most people down, by the way, for interviews. They say they have never repossessed a pet ever, which makes me wonder what kind of teeth these loans really have. It's probably true that they've never repossessed an animal because, again, what they'll try to do is they'll work through a collection agency to encourage the purchaser or the leasee to to restructure the deal so that it's more affordable for them again in the short term um, in terms of monthly payments or what have you. But at the end of the day, the deal isn't going to be, they're still going to be paying two to three times the amount, you know, that they originally signed up for paying at retail. These animals go for at retail for anywhere from a thousand to, you know, $2,500, $3,500, maybe, you know, even more depending upon the breed. And if you're paying, uh, Three times that amount at the end of term, plus a balloon payment at the end to actually own the animal, that's that's real money. <laughs> I would say that's a predatory practice. Absolutely. Definitely. And it's not just about leasing, although, you know, I'm dealing with the leasing front and center right now. Um, it's about the nature of the industry in general. Um, this is a money-making industry. This owned property, 
uh, quote unquote, uh, is uh, a living and sentient uh, entity um, that is not a chair. It's not a television. Doesn't shouldn't have to be repossessed. Um, and it isn't something that you just forget about after like a couple of years and put it to the curb. This is a, a long time commitment for people. Um, people care deeply about their animals. Um, so to the extent we can point that there wouldn't be this pressure to sell these animals for all this money if you didn't have this this wholesale uh, high volume breeding environment that is you know kind of coughing all of these animals into these retail systems. The system is broken. It's not readily uh, regulated. It's not regulated in a meaningful way um, by the federal government, USDA APHIS. As a matter of fact, you know, USDA APHIS right now is making it very difficult for the public to get information from them regarding the source of these animals. Um, it's very hard if you're looking at making an animal. Uh, you know, obviously, we're uh, suggesting that, as you did, that we adopt some shelters and rescue organizations, um, not, you know, purchase or retail. But if you did and wanted to find out the source of the animal or the history of the uh, the breeder uh, that has sent this animal to the pet store, it's very difficult to do. Um, knowledge is key. Knowledge is power. Um, and uh, I encourage anybody who has a voice, anybody can put uh, information out there to the public to please inform them about the nature of the industry at large and uh, certainly about these unfortunate predatory practices that uh, retailers are using to help aid and abed um, the industry. Do you think the answer is making pet stores sell or, you know, have dogs only from rescues and shelters? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Um, we are leaning towards uh, supporting that type of environment under certain circumstances. We are generally willing to provide for, I guess, what I'll call the PetSmart model, which is that a, a retail environment can provide space um, for um, a not-for-profit shelter or rescue organization for adoptions, but we don't want to turn shelters and rescues into retailers, ultimately. So there's a, there's a, little, there's a lot of nuance there that I won't get into, but it, under the right circumstances, um, I think there, there would be a comfort level with that, but it, it has to be done very, very carefully. And you had mentioned PetSmart. There are other stores that do this so that uh, I'm not saying don't shop at pet stores because there are pet stores that bring in the local shelters and the local humane societies to adopt great animals out. Yes, absolutely. If you want to learn more, where can we, is there a website? Absolutely, www.aspca.org. Bill Ketzer, the Senior Director of ASPCA Government Relations, thank you so much for your hard work and for talking with us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was definitely my pleasure. You're listening to Animal Radio. Visit us at animalradio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android.